0: Hey, Stephanie Gotts, you got a second to talk about Guardian Vets? Yeah, what do you want to talk about? Man, I uh, I hear from people all the time that are overwhelmed because the phones never stop ringing. Yes. Um, and I'm sure you, you hear from these people as well. You know, like our caseload is blowing up and the doctors are busy and uh, the phones just don't stop. They never stop. <laughs> <laughs> that is a true story. I'm amazed by how uh, how few veterinarians know about Guardian Vets. This is a service where you have uh, registered technicians uh, who can jump in virtually and help you on the phones. You can flip the switch. And uh, Guardian Vets can jump in and take some of the load off the front desk and they can handle your clients and get them booked for your appointments and give them support. And it really is a godsend.
1: Pre-pandemic, it was amazing to me how many people hadn't heard about it for after hours call help. But at this point, I can't believe how many people don't realize that they are offering help during the daytime as well, which I would think right now is a huge benefit to practices because everybody is shorthanded. Everybody is drowning in phone calls. And so we talk about it. We've talked about guardian vets a lot on the podcast and every time we do we always get somebody who says what is that
0: (laughs) guys if you're not familiar with guardian vets if you think that you could use some help on the uh on the phones or up at the front desk check them out it's guardianvets.com and uh if you mention our podcast me and stephanie goss uh you get a month free so check it out guardianvets.com
1: hey everybody i am stephanie goss and this is another episode of the uncharted podcast Just a quick warning at the front of this episode, Uh, there is some swearing in this episode. So if you are listening with kids in the car or at home, uh, you may just want to be aware of that um, or other people who just don't like to hear swearing. Uh, Know that that is a thing that happens uh, a few times in this episode. Number two, uh, we are talking about substance use disorder, alcohol use disorder. Uh, We do talk about suicidal ideation and suicide. So um, heavy topics that we did our best to cover uh, in a way that hopefully is not upsetting or triggering to anybody and as always we want to be upfront and uh, make you aware of what's happening before we get into it so if uh, those subjects are upsetting to you and you may want to uh, take a break from the episode that's totally fine we'll see you back next week if not let's get into this
0: and now
1: the uncharted podcast Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted podcast. Andy is not with me this week, and that makes me very excited (laughs) because uh, sometimes I think we need a break from our energy and because it means I get to have uh, one of my most favorite people in veterinary medicine with us today as a special guest. Uh, My dear friend, Dr. Phil Richmond is here. Uh, We are going to talk today about substance use in veterinary medicine it is a passion, uh, something that is near and dear topically to both Phil and I's hearts. Um, I'm going to let him introduce himself. Phil, welcome to the podcast.
2: Hey, thanks, Steph. It's great to be here. And I w- I would say, I know Andy's not here. I'm like the Wish wish app version of Andy Rourke um, for anyone not seeing the video. <laughs>
1: You're a good substitute for Andy. Yeah. Uh yeah. so for the people who are listening who have not had the chance to see you hear you know you in veterinary medicine. Yeah. Uh can you tell us a little bit about uh your background and kind of how you and I uh came to be came to be connected?
2: Yeah. So I'm really grateful. I, I sit right now in a seat with a group called Veterinary United. I'm the chief medical and well-being officer. Um, and super cool is Tom Bankstall, uh, Dr. Dr. B, who's the CEO. He and I right now are the only two veterinarians in the U.S. who have a certification in applied positive psychology. So he feels really strongly about that aspect of veterinary medicine. So super, yeah. super excited about, you know, working there. But on a, on a grander level, and this is kind of why all of us are doing what we're doing is trying to change the the face of vet med, you know, and trying to change yep. what, you know, what, what has been, what's, you know, keeping what's working well, but then what are we, what are we struggling with certainly in work design and, and that. Um, I also sit as the chair of the Florida Veterinary Medical Association's wellbeing committee, and I am super excited. Like I get to work, it, it Every time I say this is crazy, so I'm sit on a committee for the CDC um, and NIOSH for healthcare and um, psychological health and safety, and then just really working on a number of uh, projects around that in vet med. And I get to work with some of the coolest people, including you, Stephanie Goss, in uh, in oh, veterinary wow. medicine. So just very very grateful. And I think we yeah. might be able to get into a little bit of my story of of that as yeah. we go on or. Yeah, Yeah.
1: so you, so you and I are both red dot people. As I'm listening to you talking, I'm like, "Ooh, that's a lot of projects on on Phil's plate, right?" Like, let's just acknowledge that right up front. Uh, We are red dot people, and we bonded immediately. Uh, We, I think, probably within the first ten minutes of uh, talking to one another, we did the like jumping up and down, like did did we just become best friends? Kind of moment, totally step brothers. Yeah. Which I've never actually seen that oh, seen that movie, but I can oh. like picture the jumping up and down in in yeah. my head because uh, that's what Phil and I did because uh, we just have a lot in common. And then as we started talking and getting to know each other more uh, and discovered some things about our own personal lives and histories, we were just like, "Oh my gosh, we had way more in common than we thought." So yeah. uh, we have been a part of the uncharted community together for several uh, years now, and. You and I both, uh, nerd out about wanting to make change in veterinary medicine, and our work together started in a very small corner uh, within the uncharted community in terms of creating safety um, and space for those uh, in recovery in our community Mm -hmm. and uh, has grown. And we are actually, uh, a few short weeks from doing this recording, we are headed to Florida to to speak at VMAX together, which we are both really excited about. Super excited, yeah. And if you're listening and you're going to be at VMX, uh, you should come say hi. I will drop our session info into the show notes, but uh, we are presenting on Sunday morning together with uh, two human medicine uh, doctors. And we're talking about uh, pieces uh, and facets of veterinary leadership when it comes to helping our people. Like when we know that there's a problem, how do we handle uh, crises and support? Uh, And so we're super excited to do that. And as we were getting ready for that, Uh, You and I have started, we have this uh, text chain where we see things uh, or we hear things. We have people ask us questions Mm -hmm. and both of us regularly get questions from managers, but hospital leaders in general asking, hey, there's this situation happening with a member of my team or someone I know is in this position um, when it comes to uh, substance use or alcohol use or mental health. Uh, challenges and i don't know what to do and there was um there was something recently that that came up somebody asked me a question um because they had a member of their team who hadn't been with their team really long um and they have uh, by their admittance, been a a pretty good employee and then last week they Uh, texted and said, Hey, I'm just, I'm not going to make it into work. And there was kind of no follow-up and no details. Uh, And then a few days later, they uh, replied back to this manager that I was talking to and were like, Hey, I am actually in the hospital. Um, I overdosed last week and I'm going to be here for a little bit and I'm not sure what it looks like from here. And um, I thought it was great that this manager was asking questions and in the group that we were having the conversation with a lot of the response, uh, an initial reaction from fellow managers was, you know, tread really carefully and let's look at this from a disciplinary perspective. Like they know, called, no showed. They should just like, what is your policy on that? You can just dismiss them and get rid of the problem. And I immediately texted you. Uh, <laughs> it was just like, this makes me see red. Um, And you and I had a great conversation. I was like, let's do a podcast about this because we get asked questions like this all the time. And I think it's one of the things that you and I are both passionate about, right? Breaking down the stigma when it comes to uh, mental health challenges, substance use um, yeah. in veterinary medicine. And so that's kind of uh, the context of what we're going to talk about today. We're going to do, uh, we're going to talk about our typical headspace and actions in this specific instance. But uh, as I suspect knowing Phil and I's conversations will probably meander a little bit along <laughs> the way. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. So so let's, let's start though with a headspace perspective. Yeah. So why does this kind of thing make both you and I see, see red? And also how do we keep ourselves from just being angry about it? Like what, what do we do about it? Why are yeah. we here? Why are we talking about this in bed bed?
2: So absolutely. And the the thing is, is that in the U.S. The stigmatization of alcohol and substance use disorder is significant. And that's, that's mm-hmm. really where the crux of the issue comes up, mm-hmm. is that we look at, uh, you know, Oprah um, just, just published a book, but there's, a, uh, there, there's an excellent, excellent uh, psychiatrist, neurologist, um, and he says what we need to ask the question is instead of saying, what's wrong with you? Is ask what happened to you, and some of the numbers that I wasn't aware of until I got involved in this is one of the things that we know is that in medical professions, medical professionals at a rate of twelve to fifteen percent at some point in their career are going to have uh, be, be uh, meet criteria for alcohol or substance use disorder. In in two. So that's Go a huge number. huge number. And so if you don't know that number, we're not that, you know, that's more than one in 10, you know, is that we've we're out there. Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. It's, yeah. what do we you know, what do we think about when we think about somebody, you know, who who's in you know, when we ter- use the term alcoholic, you know, that yeah. even that image that pops up sometimes is somebody with an overcoat, you know, with, uh, yes. you know, in the stigmatization of under the bridge, you know, drinking out of unable yes. to stop drinking and that is not what it can be. Some of us can go go to that place, but that is not what, what it is. Many of us are, you know, intelligent medical professionals. And intelligence has intelligence, moral fortitude, and grit have nothing to do with alcoholism, alcohol use disorder, and substance use disorder. It is not a moral failure. And that is that is the thing, you know, it's a it's a mental condition that we have. And so it's really, how do we frame, how do we frame it in the first place? And I just love that reframe of what's wrong, instead of asking what's wrong with you, compassion and saying, you know, what happened to you? And yeah, go ahead and stop.
1: I, I, th- I think that's, I think that's huge, right? Because uh, the, the stigma the starts Mm -hmm. with the mental image right like when you when you ask somebody and i think that's why these questions make me see red is because the the answer for most of us just as humans is we have been conditioned as a society to look at substance use uh, disorder alcohol use uh, disorder mental health challenges as other people right as Mm -hmm. as uh, a problem that couldn't affect us that happens to other people in this like dark and shady and nefarious kind of way and the the picture that comes to mind is is a very negative one and so Mm -hmm. we start by already being biased in our thinking because of the stigma that surrounds it and so when there are challenges in our own backyard and i i love that you um I love that you brought up the uh, medical professionals because that's huge. And and we are a part of that Mm -hmm. uh, as, as veterinarians. And um, we also know that, that on a very, very broad level, I think, The most recent numbers that I saw are are a little bit older at this point. They're from 2017. But um, the Substance uh, Abuse Mental Health Services Administration does a does a survey. And the 2017 number said 20 million Americans, 12 and older, had been impacted by substance use disorders. That's statistically uh, staggering number. And so yeah. you and I were talking about the fact that when we when we talk to people and you were saying when you lecture you actually ask the question how many people have been uh, you know impacted or know someone who's been impacted and 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 hands lots of hands in the room. Go Not up. Hands.
2: Most right. hands. Yeah.
1: And at the same time when it comes to a leadership perspective when I ask the question Hey, have, has anybody, you know, have, have you ever had someone who's been impacted by this in your practice? I see so many leaders say no. And I think the answer really is yes. And they just don't know it. Right. It didn't impact work. It was, it was a secret. Um, And so I Mm -hmm. think for me, a big part of the stigma is to look at the perspective that like, not not normalize it in the sense that this is okay, but normalize it in the sense that this is happening and it impacts a vast majority of
2: us and we have to start yeah. to talk about it. And like you said, is that it was a secret, you know, and then we ask ourselves, why? Why is it a secret? Why is it a secret? We There was a study that just came out, you and I were talking about it just, just recently is in September of 2022, uh, there was a survey that came out One in seven physicians, one in seven physicians admitted to consuming alcohol or controlled substances at work, one in seven at work, work. that's at work, more than one in five say that they consume alcohol or controlled substances multiple times per day. So, and then in 2017, there was a, a survey done by the Mayo Clinic and they had, it was a robust survey. They had, I think it was about I think 7,500 physicians, 7,400 physicians answered the mm-hmm. survey. In that survey, just alcohol is what they were talking about. Just alcohol. 12.9 percent of male physicians and 21.4 percent of female phys- physicians met criteria for alcohol use disorder. Almost mm-hmm. one in four, you know, of us, one in six to one in four, you know, meet criteria. So why in the hell are we not? Why do we not talk about it? We also know, and talking about suicide, just to, to give a warning, is that fifty to sixty percent of suicides are have alcohol or drug relation to it. And so mm-hmm. that is something, you know, I feel very strongly about. And both of both you and I are certainly advocates for suicide prevention in the in the profession, mm-hmm. but if we're not talking about this, we can't truly be helping one another. And it's like, why? Why are we not having these discussions and it's stigmatization. And then it's, it's the fear of, if I, if I come forward with this, what were we just taught? What's our, our knee jerk response is that it's, it's going to be a performance issue. It's going to be a fitness to practice issue. Um, and, and so what happens is, is that we hide it. You mentioned the secret and this was my story, you know, is I hid it until I couldn't hide it anymore And I almost didn't make it stuff, but yet this could have been, people saw, and I'm not, not saying that, but the signs were there long before, you know, I got to that point. And so if, if the climate was changed and we can have these open and honest conversations and say, wow, I've noticed, you know, I'm, I'm coming home and I'm, you know, I'm having three or four drinks. Um, mm-hmm. You know where where I haven't done that before, or I noticed when I take because what was funny for me is I took that self you know the assessment you know the twenty questions right. see if you're you're an alcoholic, and I took it was like nineteen you know I got like a nineteen out of twenty and it was like there's a hot and I'm like well this is bullshit you know crap. you know I'm like because if this was true i do not have a problem I'm not have a problem <laughs> I'm in I'm I'd be doing, falling down at work I'm doing <laughs> right because that's I started moving the goalposts. Is I was like, I can't have a problem because, and that's the old rationalization, you know, is that I don't, because I don't want to be viewed as the person in the overcoat with the bottle in the bag under the bridge. I don't want to be viewed like that. I'm a medical professional. I'm going to school, whatever. But those two things are not, you know, we we need to be able to have this conversation in a psychologically healthy and safe space. So that's what we really want to change. And and changing the intervention from where there's a crisis, where we can, we have to take out, you know, where somebody is is visibly right. affected at act. work, and we have to act. Yeah. To where if we you know roll back the clock, or if we go back, we we saw those things. But what kind of and this is I think what what we're going to get into today is what are we yeah. doing in our practices? What are we doing in our workplaces to set the tone to say it is okay to come forward with these things? Are we, you know, are we doing things where we talk about mental that, you know, the, the access to our mental health uh, resources are there? You know, are we engaged with our, our employees? Are we somewhat vulnerable, um, you know, with with our employees as well about our own struggles, you know, as leaders, you know, to a yeah. to a safe point? But do we feel safe coming forward with that? And that's that's what that's the goal is. Not, uh, you know, when we talk about don't, you know, instead of just pulling people out of the river, let's go a mile up and find out what, you know, what could we do to help them from falling in the river in the first place? And that's, that's the goal. Yeah.
1: And, and I love that. And I think as a, as a leader and as a manager and from an HR perspective, like, you know, you and, you and I were talking before we, before we started recording and I was saying, you know, when I became a manager, like there was no, there was no classes on this. I didn't, I didn't get. Dot this shit nobody said hey you should think about these things right like the bear like being t- totally candid and honest the bare mm-hmm. bones information that i got from an hr perspective was your handbook needs to have a drug-free workplace policy and that was it yeah. for years and years and years like that was how i managed was there was one policy in our handbook that was we are a drug f- drug-free workplace right because i could then use that to performance managed problems away. Right. So if, if we had to cross that bridge, we had the safety net that said, Hey, legally as an employer, I've got this in here. And if this is violated, I don't have to do anything else, but write the, write the discharge, uh, you know, and move and move on. Right. And so I think for me, a lot of it starts with getting honest about the fact that we we don't talk about it and right. start to talk about it to start to talk about it more which is you know a passion for both you and i like breaking down those walls because we know that stigma continues to happen because we're we're not talking about it right, right. and we're not talking about it loud enough to not, and, and often enough um and that's when change starts to happen and becomes yeah. becomes radical when we when we start to talk about it so for for me i think a lot of it is starting with looking at our own perspectives at leaders in a candid way, right? What are our what are our biases? Yeah. What are we thinking? You know, are we, uh, it's human and it's oh, like, it's okay. And, I, and I'm saying this from the perspective, like I, even someone who has been a part of the recovery community, someone who has been touched uh, in my own personal life by substance uh, use disorder and has had family impacted by substance use disorder, I still completely admit that for a long time, the bias that I had was that this is something that happens to other people. Mm -hmm. You know, like I was raised in a good family. I was the first person in my, you know, my family to go to college. Like this isn't something that happens to people like me that happens to people like my family. And so I had to do a lot of work on a personal level to break down my own, (laughs) my own bias uh, and my own um self feelings, but also feelings towards others. And so I think as, as leaders, like taking that first step and looking at how, how are we thinking, how are we viewing it? Because just statistically, if we keep thinking about it from the perspective of, this happens to other people, it doesn't happen in my clinic, like, we're gonna always be behind the curve, because the reality is, it is happening in your clinic. And if you think that it isn't, if you think that it hasn't, yeah, you're, you're wrong, it just happened in
2: secret. 100%. And that, you know, is interesting. And this is, you know, in the the well meaning, and I mean this out of a huge amount of respect, when when I was at UF, and we were we were talking about it. And I asked, I said, how many students, um, have we had referred to Florida's um, physicians health program, and they mm-hmm. said zero, and I said okay, <laughs> um, because and this is this is a this is what I'm saying is that this is a this is a um, institutional, it's, it's just not something that's talked about, and in right. human medicine, the data is all there, so they see it and they're taking positive actions. You know, for this and opening up the conversation, because, again, they have the surveys, they have the data. We don't really have we have a couple like a handful of of studies. Um, But there was one that that came out for medical students and medical students, 32, 32.4 percent of medical students met criteria for alcohol use disorder. And there was a study that came out, I think it was in 2017. And it was they did one with vet students. Same thing. And yeah. so, and this, and I'm, I'm just saying that's like, this is to everybody in the hospital is, is affected. It's right. just, you know, it's not, right. it doesn't alcohol and substance use disorder doesn't go, Oh, I'm just going to affect accountants, you know, like, or whatever right. what, right. it's, uh, you know, it's, it's that we are human beings who were taught yes. to do the job of veterinary medicine. So we, as human beings have things that happen to us that put us at a higher risk of this being there. And that was something that I thought we might we might step into too talking about adverse childhood experiences and trauma informed workplaces if that feels right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I love it. So I I think um I think that is a good segue for us to kind of talk about like what are some of the so so we recognize that there are problems right we recognize yeah. that there there are challenges and usually for for most of us as leaders like we're f- because it there still is the stigma because it is secretive um there is generally we're finding out further down the line like you said yeah. like we're a mile down the river right? right there is a crisis someone someone is um actively uh you know uh suicidal somebody is actively in substance use crisis somebody has o- od'd at work mm-hmm. or at home and we're right. like like this fellow manager that i was talking to we're getting the call saying hey i'm not i'm not coming to work right then we're managing in crisis mode and so i mm-hmm. think for you and i a lot of it is we need to do things better as a community as a industry to have resources to support the crisis mode and that's a whole other soapbox but i think yeah. for you and i a huge piece of it is how can we start to turn back time right yeah. how, can, how can we be how can we wear our time turner necklace and flip it back a, flip it back a notch and be able to look at okay, how do we start to impact and support the team? How do we start to look at the team as human beings, recognizing that this uh, is something that impacts a a vast majority of the American population? How do we start to do things to create a safe space in our practices where people can be human, where someone can say, hey, I need this help. Not necessarily like, I mean, I'm, I, you know, you and I are both the kind of people that we might go up to our manager and be like, hi, I am in recovery and I need to go to a meeting today. Right. But recognizing that not everybody is going to be able to have that forward, uh, (laughs) that forwardness, and how they address it with their management, but creating the space where if somebody on our team says, Hey, I need to go to medical, I need to go to some medical appointments over the next couple of weeks and I need to flex my schedule to make that happen where we create this culture of safety where somebody can say that and we're going to support them instead of being like, well, we've got patients to see. I need you here, right? Like, how do we start to look at people as humans? And um, I think you're, you have so much to share in In that arena. So let's um maybe let's take a quick break here and then we'll come back and we'll start to dig into some of the action steps. Like what are some of the things that we can do as leaders? Yeah. What are some of the processes that we can put in place? How are ways that we can support and educate our team um to be seen as as human beings first? Uh and veterinary professionals maybe second. And how do we support each other in that regard? Does that sound like a plan?
2: Perfect. Let's
1: take a quick break. Hey everyone, it's Stephanie and I just want to jump in here for a quick second and say Happy New Year. I am hoping that in the new year you are thinking about spending some of your CE money and coming to join our community if you're not already a member. We've got all kinds of great things happening in the community regularly, and one of the big benefits of being an uncharted member means you get access to all of our monthly workshops at no additional cost. But If you're like, I can't afford to do membership right now, but I would love to get in on some of the things you're doing, head over to the website at unchartedvet.com forward slash events, because we have got a rapidly growing calendar of all of the things that are coming in 2023. Andy and I are kicking off the year with a three-part start the year off right uh, workshop series in January and February, and we would love to have you join us. You can come for one, you can come for all three, you do you, but we would love to see you there. And now back to the podcast. Okay, well, we are back. And I think so, you know, we talked a little bit about the headspace. And a lot of it is about just acknowledging the stigma and kind of doing some self reflection and some looking at how we're approaching things. And it's, it's funny, because I get asked questions a lot like this, like this question from from this fellow manager. And my first response always now and it wasn't always this this way but now my first response is if you had a team member text you and say i'm in the hospital i just found out i'm cancer i have cancer what would you do right because the response to that right should be no different then the response for any other reason that somebody's in the hospital, the reason shouldn't matter, but it does. Cause as a society, we, there is stigma and there is judgment. And we look at somebody who has cancer as holy shit. That's not something they could control. Like right. for them, yep. this happened to them. Yep. Right. And we don't afford that same outlook to people who are, who are um, having mental health uh, challenges or crises or a disease. We don't afford that to substance use disorder or alcohol use disorder. Um, we look at it as they're in control of this. This is their fault. And so we look at it very punitively. And so I think the first thing from an action step perspective, after we do some self-reflection is start to look at how can we, we have a gr- incredible power to teach our team that our first response is as fellow humans and is one of empathy, which yeah. is you are you are hurting, you are in pain, you are in the hospital, like how can I support you? can mm-hmm. I you know can i se- can I send you know, can I send you food what do you what do you need right? because it's no it's no different. And so I think for me, it's about how do we start to set that groundwork? consciously and unconsciously in our team to look at to look at substance use disorder to look at alcohol use disorder to look at um uh you know mental health uh and and disease and say this is this, how can we approach it from a more stigma-free perspective, right? This is not something that they chose. This is not something that they can control from that perspective. Yes, there are things that I, I can control my actions and I should be held accountable for my actions. And at the same time, this is this is disease process, you know, and what would we do if one of our patients had a disease?
2: And I think there's a way that we can frame that conversation, that makes it easier for us to to have more cognitive empathy for what's going on with our team members. Yeah, and, you're and, doing
1: some great stuff here with your with your teams. Tell us about some of the framework yeah. that you're using for for clinics to to be able to start to look at this.
2: So, one of the fascinating things to me was that I found out maybe 3 or 4 years ago, maybe not even that long actually, of this assessment that was done back in the late 90s early 2000s and it was a big study that was done by the cdc and kaiser and what they looked at is they found that people who have these experiences that are adverse you know and that's a a kind word and we'll go into a little bit what what some of those are but they had an assessment of 10 adverse childhood experiences that they would add there were yes or no questions did these things happen to you before the age of 18. Because our mm-hmm. brain, the, the critical point is, is that our brains are still forming, and that sure. is what, from a from a, a neurobiology and pathophysiology point of view, it is it is genuinely fascinating. Although these things happen to me, to know what happened in my brain when I was eight, nine, ten years old, that set sure. the stage for some of these things that came up later in life. So these the, This assessment is you know have you did you were you ever physically abused um, you know by a family member or someone in the household? Were you ever sexually abused by someone in the household? Were you ever verbally abused? you know, were you ever felt to feel like you you weren't loved? Um, were there was there often not enough money to pay for food? were Did you have a family member who had an alcohol or substance use disorder? Did you have a family member who had a mental illness? Did you see violence in the home? Um, did you have a parent who was uh, incarcerated? Those types of things. What they found, and this is, this is amazing, is that if, if you had four or more of those experiences in childhood, you are seven to ten times, seven to ten times more likely to have an alcohol or substance use disorder. You are 6.8 times more likely to have anxiety. Um, you know, when it comes to depression, five times more likely to have depression, All of these things are are connected. And then we talk about suicidal ideation, 10 times more likely to have suicidal ideations, 37.5 times higher rate than someone with zero ACEs to have attempted suicide. So if we had any of our patients have risk factors that gave us those kind of numbers, as clinicians, as veterinary professionals, we would do everything that we could to minimize those. Now... Yeah. We're in a position in the workplace that we can't minimize those, but I want to want to let everybody know is that twelve point five percent of Americans have four or more of those. So not just in the workplace, but think about that. So people that we work with, we, we we're right. sure they have people pe- we interact clients with. clients that have yeah. it that act in a way sometimes that we don't we don't like right. that it's it's learned behavior. You know that that kept them kept them you know protected. When they were children, and I, I really came on to that when I got some bad feedback. I was like, "Damn it!" I act like I was ten years old, and it was like this light bulb went on, and I was like, "Damn it! It, it is like that's part of it." And so neither one of us are mental health professionals. Um, this is just yeah. uh, you know an observation on this. So it just was fascinating to me. And so what we we ended up seeing at at the practice that I was at before is we had uh, we had someone who who went through had an issue with feedback. And I was very vulnerable and open. Now I wouldn't from an HR perspective, I'm not gonna necessarily recommend <laughs> doing this. So caveat. I'm, I'm gonna stick with yeah, that. We at <laughs> our practice, we we were very intentional about psychological safety and vulnerability and support. Right. And so I said, you know, I I felt the same way. And I said, what was interesting is that, you know, I had taken this assessment and had this and Everybody in our clinic up until, well, not everybody in our clinic, the medical team up to that point, we had all taken this ACE. Remember four or more, you get all these things, six or more, which I have six out of 10, six or more, we potentially will on average die 20 years earlier um, than the general population or people with zero. But all these manifestations come up. Our average in our medical team was six. And so it fundamentally changed how we interacted with one another. And
1: you have a small, you have a small team. You don't have it. You're not talking about working in a hundred person hospital, right? Right. right.
2: Yeah, this right. So this was, you know, maybe we had a 10, you know, 10 people in the medical team.
1: Because I think for a lot of us, when we think about it and we think about this again, it goes back to that. This happens to other people. Right. Uh, this is why I love this example yeah. from from you. Is like we think, oh, okay, in a you know in a big hospital where they have a hundred people, maybe a a lot of the people on your medical team, this could happen to yeah. you, right? When we think about we're a small practice and there's you know there's ten of us or there's right. you know eight of us, like we couldn't possibly have those numbers statistically. And that's what I think for me it was it's so eye-opening. impactful in, yeah. in hearing that. Yeah, absolutely, eye opening.
2: And so the other thing that's interesting, so we know my story. so I'm in, you know, I've been in recovery since 2008, but I was on a podcast with a a PTSD specialist um, that works with, with veterans and and first responders and and that. Mm -hmm. And so I was talking about my, my initial burnout, like when I was working, you know, on my days off, I was working and I was doing all this and she goes, welcome to another trauma response. So. The the same behaviors that help protect it because the you know the the alcohol and substances helped you know cu- I mean they were they were a way to change the the chemistry in my brain and you know for me to deal sure. with that anxiety and the other things that were going on. However, overworking, workaholism, you know, workaholic being a workaholic, those type, but, yeah. what till we, night, but what happens is what happens in the right, we reward it and we're not watching out for those people and damn it they're like. Those are, you know, our our superstars potentially are just manifesting it in a different way. And we got to watch out for them, too. And that's where what we're going to get into next is how do we how do we then have those discussions? What are we doing structurally as a practice? to set the foundation so that these conversations can potentially happen, not necessarily talking about ACEs, but just mental health in general and, and normalizing the discussion around mental health, normalizing, you know, taking time off, normalizing, utilizing our EAPs, n- you know, normalizing, utilizing what we we have at our disposal. And then hopefully we can, you know, we can be a mile up the river and, you know, help our folks so that we can have these discussions so that we don't have a fear that I'm gonna get fired, or I don't have a fear that this is gonna happen. And as a manager, my only option isn't creating a performance you know, improvement plan um, with, with the thought that I'm probably gonna fire this person in three weeks because they're not, because if nothing changes, nothing changes, like we all, know, like, right. if there's no intervention, right. and I can't change me with the same brain that got me into it in the first place, like, right. you know, you can't just tell me stop doing X, because I, it's hardwired in my brain. Like I need help to do that. So, yeah.
1: And I'm so glad that you brought that up because that is one of the things that is really as hard for me to see. And I see it every single day. I check in with the communities and groups in veterinary medicine that I'm a part of. And every single day, somebody has, you know, made a post about, you know, yep, I'm, I'm, was, here again till 10 and now I'm sitting at home and I poured myself a, you know, a glass of wine and I'm going to sit here and I'm going to, you know, numb numb my thoughts about the day. And we normalize that because generally the responses are, you know, cheers, I'm sitting here with my glass too, right? Like there are, there are the, yeah, but we took care of the patient. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but. Yeah. And I think that that for me is uh, one of the most important uh, pieces is to not overlook those things that are not overtly, uh, negative. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't know, this is an area where we don't know what we don't know. And I'm glad that you said, you know, neither of us is, is a mental health professional. And this is where like I, as a manager had to lean into, to educating myself, to yeah. learning, from the HR perspective, certainly, and from the, um, you know, legal perspective as a, as a business person, as an employer, what do I need to do to, to protect my people, to protect myself? All of those things are valid, but also doing some education um, about just in general, what is, what is trauma, you know, learning about Learning about tools and resources like Aces. Learning about psychological safety as a as a you know topic. And I think we've come a long way in veterinary medicine in some ways towards opening our mouths and starting mm-hmm. to have these conversations, but uh, not not far enough. So so let's talk specifically about some of the things that you uh, you know are super passionate about and things that we can do as leaders in our practices to start to open the doors to the conversations and we're a mile ahead, right? Like we're looking at before we know that there's a problem, what are things that we can do to open the door to the office, so to speak, and have, have the honesty and the vulnerability and the safety for our teams to start to talk.
2: Right. So it's very much, you know, like when, when we have an emergency come in, you know, the, The best thing to do is that everybody has been taught. Everybody knows what their role is before that emergency walks in the door. So it's all laid out. It's all set down. We all know how we respond so that it's it's normalized. Right. That's that's the beautiful thing about, you know, and it's it's like a beautiful, well-oiled machine when an emergency comes in. Well, you know, when when we're doing all those things. just, it, it can be a thing of beauty. Why yeah. are we not doing that again? We're, we're right now we're in such a reactive reactionary state in veterinary medicine that we're reacting to a mental health crisis. So right. let's look, you know, just like we would look at our, you know, if we're checking the books or we're doing that, can we do a mental health audit of our practices, policies, systems that are in place? And so that's, that's what, you know, what we can do. You know, we can. What is, so what does that what does that look like? Yeah. So we can start asking ourselves just some fairly straightforward, simple questions. What's our practice's mental health policy? Oh, we don't have one. Let's look okay. into what. Let's start there. Yeah. So let's right. let's say, OK, what are what's the vision? You know, what do we envision that to look like? You know, what what would we want if we were in that spot? What would we want within the, you know, the realm of H.R.? But there are options within right. that realm that we can do to support to support people are the yeah. main. The, so there's there's a whole the U.S., unfortunately, is about five to 10 years behind every other civilized country in the country, in the world when surprising. it comes to. Yeah, not surprising. Um, but Canada. So I'm certified um, for the uh, psychosocial risks and uh, psychological health and safety Process That is the Canadian standard. And then I work with a, a big group in Australia, um, who's one of the yeah. one of the leaders in workplace well-being. And so these psychosocial risks like think about think about it like OSHA for our brains. <laughs> that's that's how I like to describe it. We do this stuff for that. OSHA. You know, we do. yeah, you go in, you take radiographs, you better damn well have your thyroid shield on, your your plate, you gotta have your gloves your on, you know, as yep. as low as reasonably uh, you know, available or Alara, I forgot what the whole radiologist uh-huh. said, yeah. Yep. But yeah, why are we not if we know the things that can potentially increase our risk for psychological damage, what are we doing proactively to decrease those? Are we are we doing things as far? Do we have role clarity? Do we have job clarity? Do we have do we give autonomy? What about reward and recognition? Are we making sure that our our teams know that, you know, that they're doing a good job? Like things that we we kind of intuitively know, you know, especially in uncharted groups. But it's what's cool is the data supports it is that we need to be be very intentional about crafting these things. You know, what is our, how are mistakes handled? That's a big one when we talk about psychological sure. health and safety. Like, do we do we have uh, situations where, you know, technicians get lit up in treatment verbally by the doctor, you know, if they make a medical error? And I, I, right. I guarantee you, all the doctors yeah. have made error. I mean, I have. I mean, that's the... Yeah. That's part of, you know, 100%. And and how
1: are we leading? How are we leading by example? Right, right. Right. As leaders, like when we when we make those mistakes, whether it's as a clinician or as a leader, like, are we leading with vulnerability? Are we leading with with candor? Are we saying, hey, I screwed this up and I need you guys to know a that I screwed it up, but also b what I want to do to fix this in the future so that you don't have to feel those feelings that I'm feeling right
2: now. Right. Because I feel horrible. Right. And as diagnosticians, as clinicians, as medical professionals, as people who need data to make decisions, are we regularly assessing those psychosocial risks? And are we measuring the well-being of our teams regularly? Probably not. Probably not
1: it probably probably not right and this i knew that this as as it always does when you and i uh start talking like (laughs) time is always the crunch and i said to phil i'm like listen we're gonna we gotta we gotta keep it we gotta keep it tight and uh i there are people who are listening who are like That sounds great. And what do I like? Where do I even start? And so uh, Phil and I are going to drop a bunch of resource info into the show notes this week for you guys so that you can find uh, access to learning more about some of the things we've talked about. The ACEs assessment, um, the uh, mental health and well-being audits in your practice, like things like that. So we'll give you resource info. So don't panic because we're not going to dive into a lot of specifics from the from the time. Uh, the time perspective, but we'll, we'll put some of that in the, in the show notes for all of you.
2: And, you know, have, have our leaders gone through mental health awareness training? Have we given them the tools just like everything else? Like, have we, have we done that? And, How many
1: of us have, you know, mandatory training for our leaders? Like how many of us have our people assessed in, uh, you know, QPR training? How Mm -hmm. many of us have our teams take just like, I'm so glad you said the OSHA thing. Like there is somebody on our, there should be somebody on our team who's CPR and first aid certified. Who, who on our team is getting mental health education? Who yep. is getting education in things like substance use disorder, alcohol mm-hmm. use disorder? How are we educating ourselves? That has to be a part of the process for us yeah. if we are truly running open, honest, caring, people-forward practices. Yep. And I think that that is, uh, you know, that's the, the space that you and I both uh, look yeah. forward to impacting the most, for sure.
2: And so just really getting curious about some of those questions. And, you know, do we, if we have an EAP, most, most practices have one and they don't know Mm -hmm. how to access Uh it. Uh Yeah.
1: Or what's, or what's included.
2: Right. And so, and is that information, you know, on a regular basis kind of put out? So it's not, Hey, we have this EAP, what the hell does EAP stand for? Okay. What is, what does that mean? Like really going over what the benefits are during, during a team meeting and do we yes. do we address those things regularly? Do we feel that that's important enough to put on our regular team meetings? Yeah. Do we have a you know, well-being update? Do we have a psychosocial risk update? Like, are, are we are we putting those things on the agenda to talk about?
1: I love that. And I think one of the other things that as leaders that we can think about is you know Andy and I talk a lot about uh employee assistance programs and EAPs on the on the podcast right but mm-hmm. going beyond that when yeah. I sat down to think about this and I was thinking about like what are some of the things that I learned about in my own journey you know thing things that wouldn't have even occurred to me <laughs> yeah. as a manager to ask like what's included when we are providing medical benefits for our team what's included in those benefits are we are we um in, is it included for recovery support services? Can somebody go to inpatient treatment or outpatient treatment as part of our medical health uh, plan? What is their access level to uh, meds to treat substance use and manage addiction? Are they wildly cost prohibitive if the insurance doesn't cover it? You know, do our medical services offer alternatives to Uh, for pain management, like chiropractic or uh, acupuncture or physical therapy, basic things like that, that are a part of the benefits that we already offer to your point about the EAP. It's the same with medical benefits. We can be asking those questions, not only knowing the answers to those questions, but making sure that we're highlighting that information for our team. So again, they don't feel secretive about it. You know, I make no secret in my practices now, like I don't take meds unless I absolutely have to Um, and so one of the questions that I always ask an employer is what does the medical plan look like does you know I've been using acupuncture to help control uh, pain for years what does acupuncture uh, or chiropractic coverage look like asking those questions so that it isn't a secret so that it isn't something that I feel uncomfortable having to ask about right thinking uh, thinking about those things Um, the other thing that became a, a passion project for me is how can we help make the Community better and and decrease risk factors, especially when it comes to substance use. Yeah. Um, I live in an area of the country that has really, really high uh, opi- opiate use, um, yeah. and we're up we're up near the Canadian border, and we have uh, it's a systemic issue here. And one of the things that I got really passionate about was: can we, as as someone in the community who dispenses drugs to our patients, can we get involved in drug take backs? Can we get involved in pharmacy blue box uh, projects Mm -hmm. where the community can bring back meds, no questions asked, and dispose of them safely in conjunction with the DEA so that we help limit some of the risk factors, not only for our team members in terms of our own, making our own homes safer, but making the homes safer of our clients and our friends and family in the community. So things like that, that we wouldn't even necessarily think of that really impact how we're showing up for our team yeah. um, as, as leaders and thinking about them as whole, whole human beings yeah. and not just a person who's showing up to clock in and do the work
2: for yeah. us. And I'm a bit, you know, and I, I would say if there's one, one kind of big takeaway of like where to focus is that uh-huh. I love the concept in this group that I work with in, in Australia is very, very big on this concept, which is a, a me, we, and us. So there's individual responsibility and individual things. And this is where I think human medicine kind of got down the road of really pushing resilience training. Resilience training is excellent. Resilience training, individual resilience training will not fix systemic problems. However, sure. what you know, what makes up, and then when, when we talk about the me part and the we part, the me is the team. What makes up a team is individuals, obviously. So we need right. to have... People that can then, and then on a team level, can we create a situation where I feel comfortable, you know, admitting a mistake to you, or I feel comfortable having a discussion with you and you're not going to judge me. And some of those resilience factors go into the the psychological health and safety or the uh, psychological safety of a team. And then on top of that, then organizationally is the things that are out of the hands of the employees. What are we doing as leaders and as organizations to facilitate these things? Are we doing our mental health audits? Are we looking at, you know, P- is everybody taking their PTO? Are we, you know, yeah. are we measuring well-being? Are we measuring burnout, you know, in our, our team members? Like, what are we doing, you know, in that level? And all of those things actually have to come together to create the, as Stephanie Goss said, term that i know she loves unicorn veterinary <laughs> unicorn term. practice yeah
1: i love it and i would say as i'm listening to you and i'm thinking yeah. about the moving from me to we to us right listening to this i suspect that there are some people who are like holy hell like this is so much stuff that i never even thought about yeah. and where do I find time for this? Where do I put this on top of the million other things mm-hmm. that I have to do as a as a practice leader, as a business leader, right? And I think the thing that both you and I are in firm agreement is, you know, this is not a, if you were going along your merry way and you had a drug, if you were me in my early career and you had a drug-free workplace policy and that was that was it, that was, mm-hmm. that was all you did, like that was the box you checked, you're not going to be able to go from that as zero to 100 miles an hour overnight, yeah. right? Like right. recognizing that this is a marathon, not a sprint. So right. pick pick one place, yeah. right? Whether it's uh, starting to do some audits with the team, yeah. starting to do um, building again, psychological safety also doesn't happen overnight. So yeah. you can't go from not talking about things that are personal and private and vulnerable with your team if you haven't been doing that. Like there, and you all of a sudden are like, we're gonna sit down and we're gonna have. Yeah. Or have a group therapy session. Right. Like they're gonna ship wrecks, right? Yeah. So it's about finding finding the places where you can start small and try one thing. Like yeah. you said, let's talk about what happens when we make a mistake. How are yeah. we gonna acknowledge that to each other? How are we gonna admit it? Yeah. What does that look like? Starting small, finding that first. Right building block and then figuring out how do we layer in those other building blocks as we go.
2: And, and the same, and, you know, on an organizational level, you know, what is our mental health policy? Like we could literally just ask that question and that can be our thing for the month is just, do we have one? Can we craft one? You know, what might that look like? And then the, uh, you know, the other, the other thing that I think about is when we talk about civility and practice, like things that are small things that we can do that have a ton of impact is how would I like to be treated at work? You know, what are, what are three things that we could sit down as a team and say, you know, when, when I'm talking to, when we're talking to another team member, you know, we put our phone down, like we all just have that, like simple, simple little things like that. And we take three of those things, you know, for how we want to treat each other in practice. And that's, that's the step we take. And the thing is, is that those build on one another. And then we, you know, we have a win. We've done something positive for the practice. And then we just build, you know, build one on another.
1: I love it. Uh, As always, like, I mean, you and I could sit here and continue this conversation for for half a day. Um, If you were listening to this and you're like this, uh, this. I'm super enjoying this conversation and you're going to be at VMX. I'm going to drop uh, the details on our session uh, into the show notes for you guys, because we would love to see you right. uh, there and definitely come talk to us and tell us uh, that you listened to, to the podcast. Um, that'll make it even more special. But um, we will also drop uh, resource information into uh, the show notes and uh, some info on how to contact Phil, if you have questions, um, or honestly, if you want to nerd out with either of us on these topics, we're always, uh, always open to, to further the conversation. And, uh, we actually have, uh, the first veterinary recovery meeting happening at VMX as well, right?
2: We do. Which
1: is, uh, which is huge and exciting. Uh, that is, that is going to be happening on Sunday afternoon as well. And we'll drop that info in uh, because that is something you and I are both passionate about, breaking down the barriers so that it's not just about the licensed medical professionals as veterinarians. Obviously, we need to serve them, but the veterinary community goes far beyond uh, just our licensed veterinarians. And so you and I are both passionate about providing access to uh, recovery uh, resources and just opening the doors to all the members of our team, paraprofessional and uh, professional. So that is a big, a big win. And that's happening at VMX as well. So lots of fun stuff coming in the next few weeks. It's
2: going to be a busy few weeks yeah. for us. Yes. Yes. And I'd also say if you have any, uh, if you want to get in a, a meeting an online meeting, if you're a veterinarian um, the vets for vets program from uh, the VIN foundation, uh, Brie Montana, Bree at vinfoundation.org. Um, You can get get involved with that. We have a great meeting that happens every Sunday. And it's just it's one of my favorite uh, recovery meetings. And it's just just wonderful. And we've got some more resources coming coming forth as well. So excited
1: yeah i love it uh thanks for being here phil and having starting this conversation uh i imagine that as you and i always do like this will spin into multiple other like how do we answer this question kind of episodes uh but this uh this was the first uh this was great take care everybody have a wonderful week uh take care of yourselves and hopefully phil and i will see you in, in florida in a few short weeks
2: looking forward to it
1: take care Well, gang, that's a wrap on another episode of the podcast. And as always, this was so fun to dive into the mailbag and answer this question. And I would really love to see more things like this come through the mailbag. If there is something that you would love to have us talk about on the podcast or a question that you are hoping that we might be able to help with, feel free to reach out and send us a message. You can always find the mailbag at the website. The address is unchartedvet.com forward slash mailbag, or you can email us at podcast at unchartedvet.com. Take care, everybody, and have a great week. We'll see you again next time.